0: Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 303, Mars Audio Log number 1. I'm Gary Jordan. I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, and astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight and more. Four humans are currently on Mars. Well, sort of. Four individuals are in the beginning of a year-long analog mission in a habitat right here on Earth that is simulating very closely what it would be like to live on Mars. The analog mission is called CHOPIA, or Crew Health and Performance Exploration Analog. And more so than a technology demonstration or a human Mars mission dress rehearsal, the primary purpose of this study is human research, a deep study into understanding what life would be like if you actually had to be there for a full year. We got a chance to chat with the crew before they began their journey on episode 295, and they shared their background and mindset of entering this habitat for a year. We're lucky enough to have regular access to the crew through their journey, and they promised to record audio logs about their experience month to month. On this episode, we hear from the Chapia crew for their first audio log. To add some context, we're also bringing in Grace Douglas, Chapia Principal Investigator, to describe more of the science behind the mission. Very excited to hear from the crew inside Chapia for the first time. Let's get into it.
1: minus five seconds second ten, county. Mark, mission start. Zero one, once commit lights are
2: correct. Here she goes. Listen, we have a podcast.
0: First is Chapia mission commander Kelly Hastings.
3: Hello, my name is Kelly Haston. I'm the commander of mission one of the Chapia project out of Johnson Space Center for NASA. Right now we are in week four of the mission and things are running really well and the team is feeling great and I personally am also feeling great. We've really continued to be a strong, strongly collaborative unit and we have moved through each week's missions goals in a strong and efficient manner. The funny thing about when we walked into the habitat for the first time at the start of the mission was that after the ingress ceremony on the evening of June 25th, we were sort of finishing up months, almost a year of anticipation for this mission, and a very long month of training, Um, and then a really long Sunday waiting for ingress to occur in the evening. So we were so happy that as we came through the door and it closed behind us, we formed this spontaneous sort of group hug and let out a big cheer. And it made the crowd watching us, uh, watching the Ingress laugh. So that was the first thing we did. We sort of did a big group hug and then we heard everyone um, laughing at us. Uh, And then they, they also clapped and cheered for us as well. So it was a really cool start. After we entered, we kind of all walked around the habitat looking for changes that had been made during the final preparations, um, because we'd spent time in the habitat, you know, during training. um, And then we had a few days where we weren't in it as they made final preparations. But this was the first time that we were in it alone with no other, none none of the other people training us. So it really felt like it was our space for the first time. And that was a really cool feeling. So we kind of walked around just checking everything out again, um, looking for things that they might have added. Then we also spent some time unpacking our gear and setting up our bedrooms. Um, but before we went to bed that night, we had a celebratory hot chocolate as a group sitting around the table for the first time. Um, and that really sort of cemented the start of the mission. We clinked our glasses, our mugs, and, and we were really excited to get started. So, and and believe it or not, that first night of sleep was actually really solid. I had no problems or weirdness um, and actually really felt comfortable on the bed and in, in my room. So a lot of people ask about the food. The food is actually really good. Uh, we have a lot of variety, more than I expected. And we document everything that we eat and drink, even like a shake of salt or pepper So our meals tend to have a lot of discussion about the merits of a given item, what values it might get you for calories or protein, and how the things go together. And as a matter of fact, there's a document circulating amongst the crew um, that is keeping track of the best combinations of meats and vegetables or other side dishes so that we can keep track of the items that we like best and and how they actually sort of complement each other. So that's actually been a very robust set of conversations that we have that we never seem to get bored of. Um, Daily, we have a lot of different tasks that we do, um, as you might imagine, in a a Mars base that is, you know, one of the first of its kind on a new planet. Uh, We have a pretty high variety of tasks, and each week tends to have a particular flavor, so we're usually focusing on something fairly strongly in a given week. Uh, Some weeks we're focused on EVAs, or extravehicular activities, where we go outside the habitat and walk around on Mars and perform different tasks. These would be in line with what you would expect to keep a Martian base running um, and sometimes utilize virtual reality and other times do not. The virtual reality is really fun and very beautiful, but each EVA has a particular sort of um, goal that we are trying to achieve in a certain amount of time. So we're usually pretty serious out there really trying to get our work done, um, but we have a lot of fun as well. And, you know, the first few weeks have actually really been in line with what I expected, both from the information that we got during our evaluation and also during training. And also the team that got us ready for the mission during training did give us actually a preview of the first month's schedule. So we had um, some good information about what was going to happen to us the first month, which was really helpful um, because there were less surprises than maybe we'll get in the future uh, as we were settling in and sort of establishing a lot of our schedule and work norms. So that was actually a real positive for the team. We got to actually sort of know what was coming. We didn't always know what it was going to look like, but it it was really helpful. Um, I guess the thing that surprises me the most is not actually the work or the workload or, or any of the things that we're doing, because as I said, we kind of had a pretty good idea of those. But the surprising thing for me is that I don't actually miss outside yet. I mean, of course, I miss my family and my friends and my my partner. Um, and And that's sort of normal. But you know, especially given that it's summer and everyone is out doing cool things and, you, you know, we're getting that information from our friends. I don't actually miss being outside and and going outside the habitat into the Mars space has actually been really satisfying. So maybe it's fulfilling that need for me to, for exploration that I, I often do in my normal life. So I think it also um, suggests that we're really able to drop into the simulation that we're part of both personally for me and as a team. And so that's been actually a really... Um, Really awesome finding that we're we're all actually feeling pretty content here so far, or at least I am for sure, and I think the rest of the crew feels like that so finally, what's coming up in the next month? Um, the upcoming month, we'll have some things that are uh, similar. We do do some things that are repeated or sort of similar to what we've already done. So as an example, when we do the EVAs, um, we'll often do something that is similar, has the same flavor. So an example of that would be, you know, sometimes we go out onto Mars and we might do something like set up or build some scientific equipment, um, or other times we might be collecting samples. And so even though there are different activities, once we get out there, the process of entering and exiting the habitat, and sort of some of the procedures that we have to go through, those are all similar. So we all have like sort of established a baseline behavior around them. But then when we get out, we get to do something a little bit different each day or each time that we go out. So it's kind of, you know, we're moving through a process of getting to know many of those things. But some of them will repeat, you know, regularly, because we have to check certain equipment out there and so forth. So we have some repeat things. um, But we also have some really exciting new missions to uh, in the coming month. And some of that will include different use, using different types of virtual reality or remote control methods from inside the habitat to accomplish goals outside of the habitat. And so we're sort of building on the, the skills that we've been, we've been sort of gaining as we have in this first month in the, in the mission. So that's actually going to be a really exciting um, area to keep an eye on and see how we grow as a team um, and as individuals. But it's really, uh, really fun and cool tasks that we get to do. So I think everything is actually pretty, pretty happy and rosy here um, uh, in Alpha Dune on Mars, and we're doing really great as a team and, and really grateful that people are following us and interested in our progress.
0: All right, that was Commander Kelly Haston kicking us off. Great to hear that the crew is off to a great start. Next is Chapia Mission Flight Engineer, Ross Brockwell.
1: Hello, this is Ross Brockwell. I'm Flight Engineer for Chapia Mission One, also known as the FEN. It's July 17th, 2023, and I'm answering some questions from Houston. We have a podcast. So first question, how are you feeling right now? I'm feeling really good. So it's actually been a lot of fun. Everything's really exciting. Um, Coming in here was something. (laughs) It was a really interesting experience, the ingress ceremony. And, um, you know, the four of us and the crew have been looking forward to it for so long. Um, that coming in was really special. Um, we kind of shared a moment when we got in here and then kind of went around making ourselves at home. So that leads into the second question, which is, tell us about the moment you walked through the hatch and began your mission. So that was very special. Um, the ceremony was great. All the staff were really supportive. Um, everyone's very smart, very interesting, very helpful very committed to the project, so it was really great to actually kick it off. Um, They've really tried hard to put a high level of realism into this, so it was exciting to kind of come through there and, you know, felt like we really were launching on a journey. So what were the first things we did after entering? Well, we did share that little moment where we all kind of did a group hug and, you know, cheered a bit it was nice to finally be here then we unpacked some of our stuff and um, settled in a little and we actually hadn't eaten much that afternoon so we went to the food stocks and started that process and selected a few things to eat had a little bit of a meal um, and then just kind of took it easy it was already a little bit late at that point so it wasn't too long before we went to bed and how was our first night's sleep Very peaceful, very restful. Um, Really nice to be in here, having the mission started. So, you know, we were tired anyway, but just, um, you know, our minds were racing, as you would imagine. But once we laid down and settled into the room and turned the lights off, uh, for me personally, it didn't take very long to fall asleep. Um, Felt great to be here and be in the first night. So how's the food? Uh, foods quite good um, pretty good variety um, some things stand out uh, luckily for the crew the tastes vary enough to where you know a few people have a few different favorites they don't overlap too much um and the system's working really well so far I mean they call it pantry style so all the food for the You know, the the food time frame is just kind of put in drawers and cabinets and you kind of go through and eat what you you feel like. Uh, It works out pretty well. So we kind of alternate between just individual items prepared and eaten out of the bag or you can make a plate, um, you know, full scale meal. So uh, it's great. They're really enjoyable. And what tasks do they have us doing? So it's a lot of things that you could imagine would be necessary on a real mission. So it's internal maintenance things, maintenance on the habitat. Um, there's all the health and fitness stuff that we have to do. There's training we have to do. There's preparation for specific activities like the extravehicular activities. So sometimes there are pre-brief sessions to prepare for those. So it's pretty scheduled. They have a playbook as the program we use for organizing our days so all those tasks are itemized and laid out in a plan for us that we go through there's a little bit of flexibility to it but not too much mm-hmm. so those things fill up the day and there's some time too for some personal stuff for some training of your own choice or communication with family and friends and reading and study and we have access to movies and books and the little library we brought in with us so, lots of things to do. And are the first few weeks in line with what we were expecting it to be like? Uh, what is in line and what's a more of a surprise? I would say yes. Things are going pretty much as, as would be expected. Um, I wouldn't say anything's really been a surprise. I mean, it is interesting how specific, the timeline is laid out for us. Um, I guess I thought it might take us a little bit longer to get into a rhythm, but the things are pretty intuitive. Um, We have a pretty good dynamic between us, so it doesn't take too much effort to communicate ideas and and changes between the crew. So I think we've picked it up pretty quickly. The first few weeks have flown by. Um, We'll see if there are more twists and turns in the schedule i'm sure there will be unexpected things that crop up we'll have to adjust to but i think we're i think we're ready so as to what's coming up in the next month i'm sure there are some things i can't predict but there will be another series of evas some of those are in the virtual reality world which is really great it's pretty pretty well done really neat to be out there in a Virtual Mars surface, it's pretty high fidelity. It's pretty immersive. Uh, Those are really interesting. So kind of getting to know the area around the habitat and where all the facilities are that we have to maintain. Comps, towers we have to align, and solar panels we have to maintain. Geology we have to do. It's all really interesting. And there'll be some more real-world EVAs where we go out into the sandbox and work on equipment and build things. Uh, And then there's periodic fitness and health testing we have to do, some biological testing we have to do. So there's all of that coming up. And then before long, we will get into our crop cycle, our food growth, which we're all really looking forward to. So, so far, things are going pretty well, I think, and I hope it stays that way. Okay, well, thanks a lot, and I'm sure we'll talk again soon.
0: Again, that was Ross Brockwell, flight engineer. The last two crew members recorded their audio log together. But first, we're going to speak with Grace Douglas, Chapia Principal Investigator, to add some context. Grace Douglas, thank you so much for coming back on Houston. We have a podcast.
4: You're welcome. I'm very happy to be here.
0: In person, too. Last time we talked was during the pandemic. And we got to do it as part of our Mars series. You talked about the Mars advanced food systems. And um, we had to do it remotely. But now we get to do it face-to-face. Yes, very excited about this. Yeah. Um, since we last talked, actually, funny enough, we did a uh, – that when we talked, we it was part of our larger Mars series. We were trying to capture a human mission from Earth to Mars and back. And you, were, and you told us the story of the food system and what we're thinking about for Mars. Funny enough, we were talking ahead of this recording, and you were telling – and you were saying that even while we were having that conversation for the Mars series – you were planning Chapia. you were sort of in the middle of all of this because it took you quite a bit, and i didn't I guess I didn't realize just how long it took to to get us to actually the moment of ingress. So you were behind the scenes just making this happen all along the way.
4: Yeah, so I started working towards this uh, mission six years ago, mm. and we really realized that we had a gap here. um and the way to fill it was with a mission like this. Uh, so. In a lot of the meetings that we were having towards exploration in general, including Mars, were that we had to reduce the mass of the food system. Mm. And the food system is one of the greatest mass drivers on a human mission for human logistics. And we are going to be resource constrained on these missions. So we are always challenged with reducing that mass. Mm -hmm. Well, the food system is connected to every aspect of health And performance in the human. So the nutrients that we're intaking, the food that we're eating is impacting every system in our body and the resulting health and performance of every system. And so in order to have a high performing astronaut who can complete all of their mission tasks, you want to be feeding them adequately to perform those tasks. Mm -hmm. And when you start talking about cutting mass of a food system, that can become a challenge. If Mm -hmm. you look through the history of exploration, it has always been a challenge. Even going to the Arctic and the Antarctic, the logistics of carrying that food with them has often been the uh, reason for success or failure. So their resulting food system that they did choose to bring would impact whether that mission was successful, whether that mission failed, and whether they even lost human life. So we really want to make sure that when we're going on these missions, we understand if we do make cuts, what that means to our crew health and performance. And when we would have these conversations um, and we would talk about, okay, well, if we cut this system, it could impact their health. It could impact their performance. It could impact mission objectives. Mm. The question was always, well, Where is that line? How much is it impacting? What does that look like cognitively and physically? And we really needed more data. There's really not a lot of data that's out there that directly shows that correlation between food intake, cognitive performance, physical performance and health through a mission like this when you're in that resource constrained environment. So we really needed better data and understanding what that meant with a Mars realistic food system. So that was the basis for starting to put this together. Mm -hmm. And really this became a very um, integrated evaluation of health and performance that we're Mm -hmm. getting a lot of data in different areas. So we are getting very important food system data. We are also getting very important data in, in other aspects of health and performance. We have several experts that are part of this. Um, we have uh, behavioral health and performance. We have exercise. We have uh, EVA physiology, immunology, nutritional biochemistry. We have uh, we have co-investigators in all of these areas who have worked on integrating how we're uh, putting this mission together and how we're collecting this data Mm. so that we can really understand as we're going through this whole year in this Mars realistic resource constrained environment with what we think a Mars realistic food system will actually look like, how we're supporting that health and performance so that we can provide that data to those mission planners so that they can make really accurate trades between risks to crew health and performance And the resources that they're taking on those missions, such as the food system, and whether we can reduce that mass and still support crew adequately. So that's really what we're trying to get before we uh, design the vehicles that have to take those supplies.
0: Yeah. People were asking you for the data. Show me the data as to why you need this much, and you said, "All right, well, you know what? Let's go get that data." And I and what you talked about is it's kind of started with this idea of you were trying to answer the questions of food systems, but it became so much more expansive, right? And your and your involvement with the food system even is, is goes beyond that. You have more of a background in in various other sciences to allow you to integrate and pull in different ex- experts so exactly the same questions that are being asked of you show me the data other other scientists other and in different disciplines are being asked the same question this is everybody's chance to have good data to support a good mission design for mars
4: well and even beyond that the real core is it is integrated so mm. this actually from day 1 When we were looking at, okay, we have to understand how this food system is impacting, it is already an integrated health and performance data set that we're looking for, but we Mm. need to bring in all the experts together to get that integrated health and performance data set. So they need that data as well, but it is all connected and integrated. And that's what we've been able to do is actually pull all that together in an integrated data plan so that we can collect that data in that way. Um, Mm. So it is giving us all of that data, but really we needed to connect it together. We needed to collect it over that same timeframe where we could connect it And be able to understand how we're impacting, uh, you know, the EVA performance, how we're impacting the exercise performance, are they, and then they're getting the same data through this mission, is their exercise that they're planning going to support the crew through these missions too. Mm -hmm. So it is all integrated, but based on how we set it up, how we're taking that data, how we're going to statistically analyze it, we have a biostatistician who's also part of our team, and then how... Um, we analyze that data, it's going to give us those answers on how those things are associated. And if we make, you know, are we seeing decrements that could be related to... food intake in a certain area Mm. or, or potentially we could see the decrement and it could be related to something else. And that's part of the reason we really need to do multiple missions Mm. because we would be able to, um, we're keeping the missions very consistent throughout. We're changing, uh, just basically, um, a few factors in how we're going through the mission. So that across a couple of missions with across a couple of different crews, we can start to Understand what's actually impacting. It's not just that we can, we're, we're going to be able to go deeper than is it just a time impact, a time and mission impact based mm. on how we're designing the multiple missions.
0: So then how, um, tell me about the process of the integration right where i guess you were central in that in bringing all the different disciplines together so when someone asks you like what is the chapia science and you try to capture all the different disciplines that are are in are trying to find good data and how that all is integrated and works together how do you describe it
4: okay so we do have a, a an integrated team that includes so the food system which Uh, is set up to be more Mars realistic. Mm -hmm. So unlike on the International Space Station, where they get regular resupply and then they do get some fresh fruits and vegetables on some of those resupply missions and they get uh, a lot of crew choice on those missions too. So uh, maybe 20 to 25% of the foods that they're getting are foods that they personally were able to choose versus on a mission to Mars, we might have to pre-position foods ahead of... Uh, crew arrival, which might mean it might be ahead of crew selection. There could even be crew changes between the time of, of sending the food and, and the crew getting there. So if we were to provide preference, it might not be the crew members we think showing up to consume that food. Ah. And so uh, we do use most of the menu right now on the international space station is a standard menu for that reason Mm. because we found in the past that when you're not sending food with the crew it's better to have a lot of choice and variety uh so that they hopefully are being able to pick what they want and get the nutrition that they need and uh versus sending preference that might not be that crew members preference because if you really like something and you pick to eat it a lot every single week and then another crew member gets switched in who really didn't like that food, Mm -hmm. then they might avoid that food and they're better off having a lot of choice and hopefully finding things they like rather than having a lot of the same thing that another crew member chose. Mm -hmm. So... Um, That's why even on the International Space Station, we can only send some preference because it gets resupplied. And a lot of the food is sent ahead of when the the crew gets there. So for Mars, this gets even more challenging because based on the planetary physics, we might have to send all the food ahead and there won't be resupply. Mm. There won't be any fresh fruits and vegetables coming that way. So we need to understand if we only have a standard menu, how do we support crew with that if they're not going to get preference? So we've set up what we um, what we believe will be a Mars realistic menu um, with a Mars realistic resource usage. And we uh, have set that up for a year. And within that, We do have some phases where the crew will get the opportunity to grow some crops, which would be in place of getting the fresh food supply. And we're going to collect data on that, too, because right now there are some experiments on the International Space Station where crew get to do stuff like that. Yeah. But um, it's not a part of everyday or uh, regular food consumption. Now, this is still supplemental. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of challenges when you start growing crops on a mission that still need to be solved, but we really need to start solving those now too and understanding that if we're gonna start including bioregenerative systems more and start relying on them at some point. Mm-hmm. And we have a co-investigator from the Kennedy Space Center who is working on the crop growth part of our plan. So mm-hmm. uh, we again, it's a it's a large group of, of, of experts who are part of this. And then in relation to how that's set up through the year, we have a lot of investigators taking that health and performance data that's critical it's critical for them to understand how mars realistic resources are impacting their 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 systems mm-hmm. and that includes the all the stresses involved so they're in isolation mm-hmm. and confinement they have a significant time delay and That's very Mars realistic to having that time delay for communications because they're not going to be able to talk to a mission control in real time. And then also we have restrictions on other resources. And within all of those restrictions, we can capture how the crew is doing over that year. We are um, collecting all of their dietary intake throughout so we can understand how their nutritional intake is impacting their health. So we're taking a lot of biological samples, mm. uh, you know, stool, blood, saliva, urine. Uh, we're taking uh, a lot of um, performance data from exercise, and mm. we are taking... Uh, performance data from the uh, EVAs that they're going to go on out in their sandbox. And we will be getting cognitive data as well so that throughout Hmm. that mission, we can start really understanding the associations of those things by collecting large amounts of data in all of those areas throughout that mission. And we do not have the opportunity to collect a lot of that data together on the International Space Station. There's always a lot of experiments going on. There's very few crew members. So to be able to get that data in that integrated way is very unique. No. And being able to look at it for that length of a mission is is going to give us a lot of really important information on how all of those things are relating and, are, and how all of those things are supporting each other. We're also collecting the team performance data. Um, so we have experts from behavioral health and performance who are part of our team. Um, experts from immunology who will be collecting that immunological data from mm. those biological samples, from nutritional biochemistry who will be collecting their um, nutritional status from those samples, um, and we have um, a, a biostatistician who will be helping us integrate all of that throughout the mission.
0: Okay. So, and so, in if you were to think about the. Analysis process. So I'm trying to get into the mind of a of an investigator for Chapia. Is and you said part of this part of the idea of Chapia is its repeatability. Is you take this formula, you put it towards one mission, and then you do it towards future missions, so you have a really good sample size and, and set. When it comes to the data collection and analysis, starting now. You know, I feel like as a scientist, I'm not a scientist, but if I were, I would be eager. I would be want to go right in and start analyzing some of that stuff, but maybe you have to hold off for a little bit. What is the process of being a scientist for Chapia and collecting that information, logging it, taking a look at it? What does that process look like for all of the different disciplines? Is it mostly logging here in the in the near term, and then you get to the analysis for some of the future missions? What does that look like?
4: So a lot of it at this point is Collecting the data. Collecting. And we do check it and make sure everything's looking good as we're going through the mission. And then a lot of the analysis will happen later Mm -hmm. once we start getting that data over multiple points. And then- of course, so there'll be another uh, integration at the end of all the missions. Okay. So it will take a while to get all that data put together.
0: Yeah, but this is the place to do it. It is this analog, right? You said you can't really try that on the International Space Station just because the operations don't fit for a year long. Let's send a year's worth of food and see how things work. This The analog really helps us to set a scene that is most Mars-like that allows us to strategically gather the data in a way that is predictable and controllable. Yeah. Um, this is the way to do it.
4: And there's actually a lot of reasons to use an analog. Mm-hmm. So um, one is that we can make this more Mars realistic. We can have that time delay with the isolation and confinement. Uh, we can go on the the sequence of EVAs that's much more Mars realistic in a sandbox uh, than what we'd be able to do with the International Space Station, which has their scheduled EVAs, uh, which are not on a Mars expected sequence right now. So Mm. um, what we really want to do is understand that in that Mars restricted environment. The other thing is ISS is regularly resupplied Mm. and uh, we're probably not going to really be able to resupply a Mars mission because of the planetary physics. Yeah. So we are able to set up more restricted resources so that more restricted food system more we have more restrictions on our other resources as well. What, you know, what is on this Mars planet is there now for them to use and they won't be able to just go find a, get other resources in the next resupply mission. Right. So we want to make sure that how we're supporting them is adequate. In addition to that, there are limited opportunities to be able to collect large amounts of data like this on the International Space Station uh, because you know we have only so many crew that can go on the International Space Station. Um, and there's a lot of experiments that want to get right. done on the International Space Station. So having this analog environment allows us to put in some of the other realism effects, mm-hmm. which Uh, We might not get on the International Space Station. And it also allows us to get a larger sample size looking specifically at the large amounts of data that we're going to need to really be able to answer this question where um, we can have more analogs on Earth and we have one International Space Station. So it really offers us that opportunity to collect more science that will get us to Mars faster and in with a lot more knowledge to make sure that this mission will be successful.
0: Yeah. As a scientist yourself, you want the best information that you can have to come up with a good plan. And you're thinking from the food system. And, and um, there's also, you know, all these, you, you mentioned the many other disciplines and getting buy-in into this mission, because I feel like there was a sense of desire for exactly what you were seeking. And I wonder if you can relay... Working and, and being and integrating a lot of the science what you have Experienced with working with some of the scientists. Is there a sense of excitement eagerness? Um, is, is there you know are, are folks really looking forward to this for the years to come and, and see this repeated data? What's your sense being getting being there, you know working with the scientists day in and day out? Um, what, what what is their sense of excitement towards this mission?
4: I would say that everybody's really excited. Uh, From the very beginning, there was a strong support from the science and engineering teams who saw that we really needed to start collecting data in this direction to start informing those missions. Mm -hmm. And this was really a missing piece that we were... Uh, we were getting challenged with these resource restrictions without having a really good sense of what that meant to the crew impact. And we really need to be able to understand that trade that we're making before we go on those missions. So right from the beginning, everybody was very excited when we started moving in this direction. Um, uh, All of our co-investigators were very excited to get on board with this project and to put together this integrated design and have been amazing in their efforts throughout so that goes even beyond our science team to the engineering team who's helped us build this analog and build this mission and our mission control team everybody has just been very excited and you know even in the weeks leading up to that mission uh you know the crew has said that they were had a very intense training and we were all part of that very intense training and everybody was there for very long hours but very excited to be part of moving forward in the direction of this is going to get us data that we need to be successful on a Mars mission, to move forward strongly in that direction. So there's been a lot of excitement.
0: It's inspiring to the scientific community, I bet. But I also know that after, you know, we talked about this mission before the mission actually happened, but from what I read, from what I saw the interest in participation in human research analogs spiked because of this effort. It was a lot went into it, and as, as soon as there was an ingress, other analogs that, especially here at the Johnson Space Center, like Hera, um, a very similar study on a much shorter duration, um, but you had a increase, an increase, and influx in in desire and in applications to be a part of that. So that's got to be exciting too. There's there's interest not only in the scientific community but in the participation of being a person to contribute to better understanding of humans on mars
4: yes and i i can say i cannot be more thankful for all those individuals who are willing to participate as volunteers in analog science, because this really is the core of getting us all of the data that we're going to need to go on these missions. Thank you.
0: Yes. And even talking with the crew, all of them, had that passion to contribute to the greater good. I remember particularly talking with Anka, I thought her response was was very interesting when we, were, when we talked with her on um, episode 295. She said she was thinking 5,000 years in the future and wanted to be able to contribute to humanity's progress. I was just like, Anka, That is a crazy amount of time. I I wouldn't even be able to conceptualize that. But for her to have that ambition to contribute to something that can be attributed to something so far in the future, that's the kind of folks that you're getting into this. So it's got to feel really good.
4: Yes. And again, I just want to thank all of our volunteers in this mission. They are an incredible crew. And we are very grateful for having such elite scientists and engineers be part of our missions yeah
0: that has got to feel good and so all the best to you grace and and on the team that has has worked so hard to get chapia off the ground and running and and we're in it now we're we're actually executing the mission we're thinking about the next one we're getting the science this is all very interesting stuff grace douglas thank you so much and sharing some of the science that's happening on chapia i appreciate your time thank you Okay, and last but not least, the last two crew members recorded their experience together. This is Medical Officer Nathan Jones and Science Officer Anka Solaru.
5: Hi, my name is Anka Solaru. I am the Science Officer on the Chapia Mission.
0: Hi there, my
2: name is Nathan Jones. I'm the Medical Officer on Chapia 1.
5: Hi, Nate. How are you feeling right now?
2: Yeah, so uh, pretty relaxed right now. Been feeling good. How about yourself, Anka?
5: I'm filled with joy and wonder to be here.
2: (laughs) All right, well, um, I'm gonna go on with the next question. It says, tell us about the moment you walked through the hatch and began the mission.
5: You go, Nate.
2: Okay, well, I guess I'll answer the question. It said, uh, um, I think we all basically walked in, they closed the door on us and we kind of stood there from out looking at each each other and kind of just kind of uh, started cheering. Um, kind of embrace each other arm in arm, you know, and uh, kind of stood in a circle and uh, just said some encouraging things to each other.
5: Right. For me, it was really like we walked into a dream. It was all very surreal, especially after that intense and emotional ingress.
2: Yeah, it was emotional. I, I uh, took a little flack from my family for uh I think I cried just a little bit whenever I was uh, thanking my family, so.
5: Hey Nate, what did you do the first thing after entering?
2: We basically went to our rooms after that little uh, group moment and unpacked our things. And that's just about all we did the uh, first evening, I would say, how about you?
5: Yeah, but after after we each got into our rooms and sorted out our stuff, we realized that we were finally hungry because uh, all day we were thinking, before ingress we really should eat something special that we were were about to miss for a year but none of us couldn't just much that day so we we finally did it at night
2: yeah i think it was it was an interesting evening and probably the next day too or a lot of us just walking around like i can't believe we we're actually here sort of uh going back and forth amongst ourselves uh, anka how was the first night's sleep
5: I slept like a baby for the first time in nearly a month. The bed was probably the most comfortable I had in years, but you know, I've been in many places of this world. How, how was it for you? I'd
2: say it was fine. The uh, There wasn't much to note. It, the beds weren't terribly amazing. They're uh, kind of twin-sized beds, so about what you'd find in a dorm. Uh, it was a bit humid in the rooms, I think, when we woke up, so I think we all woke up feeling a bit warm. Um, But otherwise, it was fine.
5: How do you feel about the food, Nate?
2: I think the food's pretty good. It's the same thing that the um, astronauts eat on the International Space Station for the most part. They actually get maybe a little bit more fresh foods due to the fact that they have a bunch of resupply missions. But we have a good variety, and it usually keeps us uh, from getting too bored of most foods. We also get a special meal on Saturday nights every week. Uh, we had tacos one Saturday, I think Indian food this past weekend. Uh, they always keep it just a little bit more interesting.
5: Yeah. I As for me, I think the crew is already tired of hearing me marvel at the foods, how much variety that there is and how tasty I find most things, which is not easy to achieve, uh, as my friends um, on Earth often note. So it is very, it's also very surprising that I don't actually miss a whole lot. Just a couple crunchy stuff. That's it.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh,
2: yeah I, I'd say I probably miss eating chips and some of those crunchy sorts of things and maybe popcorn. Um, Anka, what tasks do they have us doing?
5: We do everything you would expect an astronaut to do, perform maintenance tasks inside and outside the habitat, execute extravehicular activities, do inventory, track every item, keep detailed records of everything that we do, fill out a lot of surveys that inform every science arm of the Chapia mission to integrate data from exercise, behavioral health, um, microbiology, immunology, food and crop systems.
2: I'd say that pretty well sums it up, yeah. are the first few weeks in line with what you expected them to be like? I'd say pretty close. I always suspect that NASA would have a hard time keeping us busy as we're all pretty, um, I'd say we're all pretty high functioning high functioning, and uh, hard workers, uh, pretty efficient people in general, which is what allowed us to uh to do many things that we've done that qualified us to be on the mission. So um, we tend to get things done pretty quickly, I think. And uh, that keeps them on their toes uh, at mission control.
5: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, our learning curve was f- shorter than we, um, we actually anticipated. So um, the only thing that is uh, unusual for me is that I'm slightly giddier than I am on Earth. Okay, that's it. What is in line with your expectation? And what is more of a surprise?
2: Uh, I'd say we've had quite a few issues pop up already, mostly IT related, we've been able to solve uh, many of them, if not all of them, eventually. Uh, I know that I have a decent background in IT, and it's definitely been helpful to know how to code. And so I've been able to use that a bit more than I ever expected to.
5: Well, expectations for me are a fairly tricky thing. We were eager to start using the schedule and experience that famous red line by which we are to live our lives. Um, the delay is really interesting. It really makes the experience of time different in a way that I'm still trying to wrap my my brain around. But a most pleasant surprise was how easily we fit together to do our, ta- our task. You'd imagine them putting quote unquote strangers because we don't feel like strangers to one another putting strangers together necessarily would create tension but we're getting into week four with all of our wits about us and we still laugh together and we seek each other's company and still have fun so um good yeah <laughs> uh, what's coming up in the next one they uh,
2: I haven't really looked forward to the next month yet. I'm more of a taking it one day at a time sort of person. So I do know that this week we're doing a lot of fitness testing and sample collections, uh, and they're going to use those to compare to future uh, testing and past testing that they've done on us. That's about it.
5: Right. And I am very much like you, Nate. I love watching the days rolling by, and I've... Um, Take things as they come. I do look forward to the crops, though. I really can't wait to actually see plants and talk to them and pet them every now and then, and if hopefully even eat them.
2: <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> yeah. We can get them to that point. Well, uh, I think that's all the questions we had to answer for now. We appreciate everyone's time and we uh, hope that you all have
5: a good week. And think of Mars. I used to go ahead. Stop the space shuttle. Roger.
0: Became for all mankind. It's actually a huge honor to break a record like this. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. to.
4: Welcome to space
0: hey, thanks for sticking around. Super fun to hear from all the crew members inside Shapia. Great to know that they are off to a fantastic start. Cannot wait for the next one and I hope you learned something today. You can check out nasa.gov for periodic updates on their progress and of course, keep listening to us. We're going to be doing these audio logs monthly. This is the first in our series. Uh, If you want to check out more podcasts, we're at nasa.gov slash podcast. You can click on us, Houston We Have a Podcast, or any of the other great shows we have across the agency. If you navigate to us, you can listen to any of our podcasts in no particular order. If you want to talk to us, we're on social media. We are on the Facebook, X, and Instagram pages of the NASA Johnson Space Center. Uh, And you can use the hashtag AskNASA on any one of those platforms to submit an idea for the show. Just make sure to mention it's for us at Houston We Have a Podcast recordings were sent from the Chapia crew through July and we had the conversation with Grace on August 2nd, 2023 thanks to Will Flato Dane Turner, Abby Graff, Belinda Polito Jane Jennings and Anna Schneider thanks to Grace Douglas for taking the time to come on the show and big thanks to Kelly Haston, Ross Brockwell, Nathan Jones and Anka Solariu for sharing their experience for this audience on Houston We Have a Podcast. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on and tell us what you think of our podcast we'll be back next week